HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com. This week on Meet and 3, we rethink surplus by exploring how innovators are promoting sharing mindsets and responding to excess in creative ways. The whole life cycle of food would be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter behind China and the United States if it were a country. You know, in the age of COVID, where a lot of those institutional processors did grind to a halt and a lot of farms had to dump milk in Pennsylvania, even while supermarket cases were, were bare, the organic market stayed strong. They source all these ingredients, they do all of this work, and then they just boil it for a few minutes and then they throw it away. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, me, Zara Tangora, and, and Bobby Conforto, your mom. Hi, my mom. How are you? I'm pretty good, Zaz. It's been an interesting week. Yeah, you got your second vaccine this week. I did, with a lot of anticipation, and um, it feels really good to be part of, you know, hopefully making things better. Yeah. For everybody, so I feel good about it. Good. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy that we're going to be able to spend some time together again soon. I know. I, I miss you in my kitchen. I know. I'm really looking forward to it. So today we are joined by Sydney Taylor. And boy, oh boy, was this an episode. Um, what an incredibly rich, deep, emotional, incredible episode. Um, Sydney is the host of A Piece of Grief, a new podcast um, exploring grief. Um, and I'm not going to give too much away because we talk a lot about it in the episode, but Sydney is just an incredible human being, and we're so lucky to have connected with her, and we've really made a new friend. We yes. already made plans for hanging out in the future. <laughs> She's incredible. And I would like to say, you know, having worked with many, many bereaved parents in my career, mm. it's just a special grace and honoring that we need to give towards bereaved parents. It's just such a yeah. position to be in, you know, Absolutely. and she does it with such strength and love and she's a beautiful person and bravery as we mentioned yes. during the episode i think is the key word there real yep. extreme bravery yep um yeah i mean i can't wait for without further ado we're going to get onto it because it's just such an incredible episode but i do want to make a small note um just to a friend and listener 
who I'm just going to let be nameless because I'm not sure if they want to be shouted out, but you know who you are. Um, a friend of mine is going, losing their father. Um, they're kind of, you know, they've been battling with, their father has been battling with cancer for a long time, similar to how my dad did. Um, and I think that it seems as though they are going to pass on very soon. And I just wanted to say to that person, to send a big hug from us and all of, all of the grief and processing community, just send good vibes out into the universe for this person. And then also for all the other folks out there who are going through hard times, let's all just send some good vibes outward today. Yep. Big hug. All right, Bobby. Well, I love you. And what a joy to spend an hour and a half of time with you each and every Friday. And Sydney, I words can't describe how, you know, also just to quickly note that uh, Sydney lost her son, Benjamin, very recently. And a yes. lot of folks that join us on this show, some folks are, you know, grief is a lifelong process. So there's no quantifying which at what point it's the most painful, but it is a very, it's still very acute and raw. It's very, very brave and uh, very generous to to share at this point in um, the grieving process. So yes. just an extra special thank you. Um, we acknowledge that, how difficult that must have been for you, Sydney. And we're very, very thankful for you and thankful for A Piece of Grief, which is an incredible new podcast. We encourage everyone to please listen. A Piece, uh, A-P-E-A-C-E of grief is the name of the show which is beautiful and uh yeah please enjoy our conversation with sid joined today by a very special guest, Sydney Taylor. And we spoke uh, a little bit last week and I honestly felt like within a couple minutes of our conversation that we had been friends for like 25 years. You're just such a warm person and we made such a great connection. And so I was been looking forward to having you on the show ever since. Likewise. Yeah. Likewise, honestly. Yeah. All so Sydney, you just launched your own podcast, A Piece of Grief, which we're going to get into later. But how is it going? Welcome to the podcasting world, first of all. <laughs> I know. Thank you. It's scary out here. <laughs> it's scary out here in the podcasting world. And it's extra scary because we're dealing with such a scary subject, grief. I know. So I'm tiptoeing a lot. And then there are times when I'm like, OK, Sydney, you need to plant your feet and ground yourself so i'm kind of like dilly dallying with tiptoeing and just being firm but so far so good yeah and of course this is about making grief less scary that's why we're here right yeah absolutely 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 we've both listened to all the episodes that you have out you have three episodes out now and they're all amazing and touching and wonderful and i can't wait to get into it but first since this is a show where we kind of explore the intersection of food and grief we have to ask, what have you been, what have you been cooking lately? Because I know that you love to cook from our conversation before. So what have you been, what's been on your stove? Listen, I love to cook, but I'm the type of person that cooks from ingredients. Like I see colors first and then I create a meal, but I'm obsessed with this TikTok um, viral feta, tomato feta pasta thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, where- we've seen that around. 
Yeah. <laughs> what's the deal? What's going on with it? We haven't so, made it. What's up? Oh my gosh, it's so amazing. Grape tomatoes, season them, a little olive oil, a block of feta in the middle, 375 for 30 minutes. Um, throw in some pasta, your favorite, do whatever. So I did it the first time, and this is my second time doing it, and I didn't do it with feta. I found the most amazing cheese. What is it's it? It's a wild mushroom brie from Trader Joe's, <gasps> girl. And I added a block of smoked Gouda, Girl, let me oh take, change my whole God. life. Really? I some, yes, I made that last night. I did some chicken breast, like grill some chicken breast, and just a ton of fresh basil and garlic. Oh, yeah. Yum. Beautiful. That sounds delicious. <laughs> it sounds great. I mean, I, I think during like times when we're kind of dealing with a lot of stuff, we are people who love to cook. Like, you know, we all end up in the kitchen. Bobby, I know you feel that way when you're. It's my healing space. Yeah. It's a way to like, I mean, we talk about this often, but I think like, you know, we all need to find a way in one way or another to kind of take our brains offline for a minute, especially when you're Definitely. doing this kind of work. Like now you're, you know, podcasting and constantly thinking and not just thinking about your own grief, but like talking about it. And, and in that there's like managing other people's expectations and stuff too. So I think finding a way to take our brains offline and get in the zone feels, feels really good. And the kitchen is the place if ever there was a place, right? Yeah, for Because sure. you have such ownership over your kitchen and there's very to little intrusion except for the little people that we call our children. <laughs> but <laughs> we wouldn't want it any other way. But no, I I, I love being um, in, the kitchen, in the kitchen. Awesome. Where did that come from? Did, was mom or dad a cook or what was, what was the family routine like growing up surrounding food? No, I'm from Jamaica. Mm. And so it's a lot of cultural foods. And to be, can I just share something with you? My mom Please. never fried anything except for probably like eggs or um, plantains or something like that. So mm. I don't know how to fry chicken. Okay. Yeah. I the, the idea of submerging anything in that much oil freaks me out. I can totally. eat it though. Look, I can yeah. eat it. <laughs> Well, it's dangerous too. I mean, look, I I agree. I mean, and also, it smells up the house. There's a lot of issues Listen, with, with frying. Listen, I don't home. trust myself to fry anything, or to use a pressure cooker. But I think that I ended up loving cooking because I'm so particular. Mm. So, I'm what so do you mean by that? About food. Oh, because I'm you're particular, particular about, about food. Okay, got it. Yeah, about how food looks mm. and how it tastes. Because I want the food to taste the way it looks, right? And I can trust myself. And so I've been practicing for years now and I've brought people into my world and they love my cooking and I appreciate that. And so I do it from a place of passion. If I can gift you with a meal, right? Amazing. Which I is my that. time, the time that I take to prepare it and just the time that I get to spend with you and the mm. love that I put into it. I can't cook out of obligation because you're expecting me to. Right. I, I don't do well. So what were, were there some uh, typical kind of Jamaican foods like in your house growing up? Or, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier that some of the cuisine that, you know, your, your parents would make was, didn't, didn't make. was typical. So I grew up with um, the typical Jamaican um, cuisine, the curries, the jerks, the boils and stuff like that. And so once I started my own family, I didn't want to 
do that. I wanted to do something different. So I very seldom cook Jamaican food in my home, to be quite honest. Mm. I no. I'm like, I know that. I want to challenge myself and try something else. I want to try it and mess it up and try again and perfect it and then mm. add my own little flair to it. Totally. You know, Perfect. I mean, it sounds like you have the same kind of uh, inclination towards food as Bobby and I, which is just like a little bit of this, a little bit of that method, like really cooking from your heart. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Yes. So, Sydney, I, uh, you know, you started this incredible podcast. And we found each other on the internet, as people seem to nowadays. And um, can you just tell us a little bit about your story and what prompted you? There's a there's a big story and a and a lot of a lot of baggage and a lot of information behind what um, prompted you to start this beautiful project. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit about about that? Sure. Um, I started the podcast A Piece of Grief because of my son, Benjamin. Um, Benjamin was nine years old. We lost him in September of last year, too. It's a host of of things. I don't know that his doctors were able to pinpoint whether it was the cancer, whether it was heart failure from his transplant, whether it was a result of, you know, the Bart's syndrome that he was also diagnosed with. And so having lived this life with Benjamin, where it seemed as if from the moment he was born, even though he was born healthy, you know, the quotes, Mm. healthy, um, he did go into the NICU for the first five days. And so at about four months old, I noticed that something was off. Mm. I took him to the emergency room. Fast forward, he is in heart failure. (laughs) And he was then diagnosed with uh, dilated cardiomyopathy, which is where the muscles of the heart are enlarged. He's five months old, he's nine and a half pounds, and his heart is not doing its best. And so the best case scenario for him at the time was to get a heart transplant. Oh, for such a tiny baby. Yeah, so we ended up getting a heart in July of 2011. Mm -hmm. The transplant, um, the the transplantation, I want to say that it went smoothly because he made it out, Mm -hmm. but it didn't go that smooth, right? Mm -hmm. And we've lost him a total of three times. And so, yeah, so I brought him home after six months and I just became everything for him. He was later diagnosed with autism. He didn't have intelligible speech. He was failure to thrive in all areas. And even when he passed away, cognitively he was measuring at an 18 month old. Mm -hmm. So I say that to say that I was everything for him and to him and he was everything to me. Mm -hmm. And so for the past 10 years, my life, was dedicated to taking care of him and all these different hiccups and all these different obstacles that would present themselves. And we did it day by day, just one step at a time. And he fought, he fought long and he fought hard. Benjamin's symptoms would present at their worst at the ninth hour and that's when we would know that okay this is 
this is dire. It's, you know, I'll have him at home and I'm like, okay, something is terribly off. I take him to the emergency room or to the doctor. And had I taken him a second later, it would have been something else. And so having lived that life with Benjamin, I just thought to myself after he passed that I have all this pain, all this pain. I have this story. It is just so much and it's just so heavy. How can I keep it to myself? Mm. When Benjamin passed away, he passed away in my arms. Mm. And I wasn't at the hospital, but I made it back with seven minutes to spare Mm. and to hold him for those last seven minutes. And when I thought that he had given his final breath, his dad and I looked at each other and dad is a respiratory therapist. So he does this every day. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I said, that's it. Cause I don't know what death looks like. Absolutely. I don't know how it present. I don't know how it, you had never, because... you had never been with anybody that had died before. No, mm-hmm. no. And so I'm holding my child. And if I can be completely honest and you'll probably say, Sydney, you're crazy. I thought up until the last hour that Benjamin would be the child and all the world would be the person to just come back to life. Mm. Because I couldn't understand how someone like Benjamin, who didn't understand pain, didn't know what pain was, but he felt so much pain and he felt pain all his life, Mm. but he could not process it Mm. as pain. How is it that he doesn't get to live mm-hmm. to tell his story? Yeah. How is it that he doesn't, you know, what I would say, come out victorious, but he did. Right. He did come out victorious. And so when we thought that his last breath was his last breath and I looked at him, I don't know how, but he gave us one more, one mm-hmm. big inhale and the final exhale. And I took that as a gift and I just told him thanks because even in that moment, I'm like, okay, he's giving me this last breath. This is what he's gifted me. It means something. It has to mean something. I don't think that we went through all of that so that I can have the memories for myself. And so I'm like, how can I get this out to people how can i tell people that you can pivot wherever you are and Mm. shoot for something and it's not i'm not here to fix anybody i'm just here to say it's okay right that's very i'm just here to say yeah i'm just here to say so you took meaning in that last breath i did so it meant to you what help us understand what that meant to you that that it meant it meant that so within myself i wanted as as his mom i wanted him to be able to tell his story to say i've gone through all of this and look at me look at me like i made it out i am a survivor hold on right so his 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 life would be an emblem for hope right and for mm. for strength and for holding on and since he didn't 
get to do that. I took that breath as my responsibility. I took that breath as my devotion to him to tell his story. And who other than Ben, who else could tell his story? Absolutely. I have been his voice all his life because Mm -hmm. he, again, did not have intelligible speech. Right. You know, Sydney, it strikes me, I'm just to go back a little bit to what you were saying earlier, how you're like, you know, you're going to think I'm crazy for saying this, but I thought he would have been the one person in the world to, you know, kind of come back to life. I just want to kind of, I can, I connected with that because I think that uh, being that we don't really speak about grief openly as much as we should. And obviously, you know, people like you are helping to change that reality, but when it actually happens, we have all these thoughts that aren't quote unquote crazy. It's, it's so reasonable for your mind to go to these places of, of being like, you're, you're intaking this information that you're going through a loss. So thinking, Oh, but they could come back. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's your stages of your brain and body accepting what's actually happening, which is so much that we have to take it in like little bits you know it's yes it reminds me oddly of I was in a terrible accident when I was like 21 and I was in a bus that went off a cliff and went and burst into flames and exploded and I remember when I got out of we I was on a tour with a friend of mine who's a musician and I remember running from this burning bus up like a we had gone off a cliff so running up the side of the cliff away from it and thinking well I hope we still get to go on with the tour (laughs) they'll send another bus and tomorrow we'll keep going on meanwhile half my hand was hanging off the thing was on fire there there was that was so far from reality but like my brain had to take it in little bits right like oh I've just survived and now I'm like thinking that like you know, about tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, I hope that, yeah. and and you can only kind of take it in so much. So, you know, it doesn't sound crazy. It sounds, it makes <laughs> sense. And I bet a lot of people when they go through such that, I mean, also even to backtrack even further, thank you so much for, for even sharing. This loss is so recent. You lost your child months ago. You know what I mean? And so September, to have, yeah. to have already begun your own show to talk about this, to try to help people and to come on here and, and share is so deeply generous and so powerful and kind and, and brave and, and brave. brave. Yeah. And you were brave all those, all those yeah. years. So brave, all of you. So much brave to walk through that, as you say, step by step. Yeah. I have a question. I'm curious to know, just thinking about what your life had been like for the past decade in caring for Benjamin in this way, how did you find, what were ways you found to care for yourself? And I guess, you know, because I'm thinking food and eating and cooking, but whatever that looked like, like, how did you find time to nurture yourself and your, your spirit and your body to be able to have the strength to keep going on through all of this? Great question. <sighs> yeah, that's a That's a good question. And I listen, I pride myself in honesty. And for so many years, Zara... I did not. Mm. There was no me Mm. because I was a new mom and all of this was so new. I did not know what to do with it, but I knew that I needed to show up for Benjamin and I knew that I needed to serve him. And so for a lot of the last decade, it was just to serve him because it was, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that you get the best care, to make sure that I don't skip a beat. They will tell you at the hospital, they know me. 
I don't hiccup. <laughs> I don't um. I ask all the questions. Yeah. I am present all the time. And so I only knew how to fully immerse myself into Benjamin's life. And then that didn't leave any. There was no me. Yeah. There was no me until a couple years ago when his brother came along, Harper. Mm. And now I'm divided. Right. And so I started to feel that depletion when it was just Benjamin. I was. I don't know if being absorbed by him. So Ben and I were one. Right. Now I'm being distracted by my newborn Harper mm. and he has his own needs. Right. Yeah. And so once I realized that I needed to meet Harper, I was like, oh, Sydney, what do you have to give Harper? You don't have anything. And so I had to find something for myself. I asked for help. I asked for childcare. I mm. had a friend come and live with me so that she could help me. I went to the gym. Mm. I hid in the gym. I started to go out with my friends because I was afraid of leaving. Mm -hmm. What if I leave and something happens? You have been in emergency mode. If there's an, yeah. And I always worry about when we end up at the hospital, are you going to be able to tell me exactly what happened? Because I need to be able to convey that. And I need to do that with confidence because they rely on me for that. Right. You know, I think we don't uh, also know a lot about what it's like for caretakers, you know, and caretakers and burnout and also like the guilt of being a caretaker and feeling like, torn I'm assuming I I can only speak from my own experience with it which is nowhere near what yours has been but you're correct but like the guilt associated with like is it okay to take care of myself is it okay to like do the things that I need to do and how do I even do that and then now in in his passing I'm sure and I want I would hope you could share your feelings about this but like that pivot right like talk about pivoting that pivot back to like now I now what I mean, what is that feeling like for you as like moving into this new phase of your life in in caring for yourself? And is that in some way what this what this podcast and this project is for you? Yes, this is exactly what it is. This is what I talk about when I say I pivot on the pain. Right. Mm. Because those experiences, if I capsule them, I'll capsule them in pain. Right. But now I have to charge that. And it needs to produce something. And so in order for it to produce something, I don't have the physical Benjamin. So I now have to operate in full Sydney. Sydney who lived all of that. Yeah. I just don't think that not talking about it. And also, allow me to say this, my culture does not create an environment for, I want to say healthy grieving, right? Mm -hmm. It's everything up until the funeral, you holler and scream and just behave ungodly, right? Because yeah. that's yeah. how you say, I miss you so much. And, yeah. And then you come back home and life 
begins to life you. Mm-hmm. Everybody stops coming over. People are going back to their own lives. And while that is just how life is, you are left to deal with you. And I just could not allow myself to pretend that I'm okay. I just couldn't allow myself to hide because I got to the point where I was like, this can legitimately kill me. Absolutely. You know, I tend to think of things in terms of energy. And it sounds to me that you and your husband, you know, put so much energy moment by moment, day by day, so committed to, as you say, you are on top of every single thing. And then all of a sudden, where does that energy go? And so what you're saying is I knew that if it imploded and I didn't find a way to a new way to let that energy out, that it would implode and it would destroy me. Is that kind of what I hear you saying? Bobby, that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. And then I have to contend with the person that I am. I don't want to be a burden. I don't like pity. So I have to figure out how and where to go with all of this energy. Mm. I can't keep it to myself. It's too much. Yes. It's too much to keep it to myself. And I know that my story is not for everybody, but I know without a doubt that it is for someone. And I'll do it for that one person. Well, I'll be honest with you. In thinking, in thinking of your podcast, the things you said about the death of your, of your child, about Benjamin, applies mm-hmm. to every aspect of grief. You said so many things. I've been doing grief work for you know, 30, 40 years. And I have worked with thousands of people as they talk about grief. And you were so good at articulating so many aspects of different kinds of loss, whether somebody lost a spouse or a parent. You know, so many things you said um, reflected a general kind of loss to any loss. So, you know, one of the things you you were talking about was meaning, too. You know, Benjamin was your meaning. And every aspect of your life was focused on that. And so another thing, one of the tasks of grief is to find new meaning. And it sounds yes. like your podcast and your commitment to sharing your grief with others is, is a way of you finding new meaning in your life. Is that how you feel? That's what I hope to do. Yeah. That's what I hope to do. Otherwise, I'll just waste away. I don't have, I didn't work all this time while I was taking care of, of Benjamin. So I don't have a career. I don't have anything to say, let me go back to that. It would be going back to Benjamin because he was my thing. Right. He was my world. And so with Benjamin not being here anymore, all of this, whatever you can imagine, it fills me every day, every Mm. hour. And I cannot sit in my bed with this. I write constantly Mm -hmm. because I need to get it out. And I'm realizing that Grief is not what, if you've not experienced it, Mm. you don't know what it is. And again, where I'm from and the culture that I'm from, they'll probably say that I'm being extra, Mm. that I'm doing the most, but I'm full. That's what I am. I'm full. And if it offends you, I don't have the bandwidth to figure out 
what's going on with you, right? Right. I don't know how to curate my grief to make it more digestible mm. for you because then I'm doing myself a disservice and I cannot, that like, for me, there's no way that would honor Benjamin's life. And so that's, that's very powerful. This is how I show up. It's very powerful. And I think that statement is extremely important to relay and you talk about just affecting one person. I think that that can affect, you know, a countless amounts of people being authentically in your pain and not being apologetic for it is very important, you know? And yeah. also like, yeah, we're, we're not prepared for this until you're prepared for it. So having little bits of taking in what it might feel like from folks like yourself before going through this kind of experience or while going through it is extremely important. You know, you talk a lot about purpose on your show. Yes. Yes. It's evident and it's <laughs> powerful and it's it's incredible. And I was struck in thinking after our conversation and then again uh, this past week in speaking with a friend who's gone through a lot of loss this past year and is continuing to. And in thinking about grief in general, have you ever seen the movie, the, there's two, the Kill Bill movies? No. Okay. So there's uh, Kill Bill 1 and 2. And I'm just going to briefly talk about this. Then I'm going to send you uh, a Is clip. Is that Uma from Thurman? It. Uma Thurman, exactly. I might have seen snippets. Yeah. So in the second <laughs> one, I hadn't seen them in a while. And I certainly never thought of these films as being particularly poignant about grief. Although they, oh. they are because, you know, in the first one we come to find out she's lost her, you know, husband and... and uh, bunch of people have been killed at a at her wedding so anyway in the second one she's on a revenge to like get the people who killed her family and uh she comes across this guy and he thinks he's got her and he puts her he buries her alive and we all think it's you know it's all over and then she has a flashback while she's lying in this box been buried alive to when she went to go train um with a kung fu master um, in Japan and she arrives in the flashback to Japan and she arrives there and she, he asks her to punch her hand through a thick wooden board. So she punches mm-hmm. it and she splits her knuckles open and she essentially spends on this montage. We see her spend the next several months punching and practicing and punching to this board to her hands are bloodied and her knuckles are broken and she can't even hold the chopsticks to eat her rice. And then finally she punches through it. Right. And then we flash back to her being in this co- in this box, having been buried alive, and it flashes into her mind that she knows how to punch through this box. And so she starts punching and punching, and her knuckles start splitting apart and bleeding, but she just keeps punching it, and she punches through, and then she punches through the wood, and she reaches her hand and her body and through the six feet of dirt that she's been buried under and she gets out and she walks out covered in dirt into a diner and she's covered in dirt and she says I need a glass of water and it just really struck me as to people like yourself and others in the who have experienced grief why does this happen it's like this question of like why the fuck does this happen to us, to some people, so intensely? And then you find yourself sometimes and you're like, because I, look at me now. Now I've, I know how to punch this thing. I'm, tra- I'm seemingly trapped, but I'm not because Fantastic, I've gotten through. Fantastic, beautiful metaphor of that brought tears to my eyes because, I know. Sid, we see you, how you have fought and fought and fought and here you are fighting, but in a different way. 
Yeah, in a different. But there was always love. There was always love. You fought for Benjamin with love, and you're fighting for yourself with love. And it really just I know it's a long, a long way to get to the point, but it just was I got so it. Oh, yeah. And it really reminded me so much of you after speaking with you, like that and that strength that like, oh, wait, I know how to I know how to do this. It's not necessarily pretty or ideal, but I know how to do this. And yes. it really you really admit that, you know, you really do. And it's very it's 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 incredible. And we don't get to choose the things that happen to us, these awful, horrible things. They just, Listen, and yeah. would we choose this? No, no. <laughs> but what do you do with it? Or what do you do Absolutely with it? Absolutely not. I, I think that, and there's an episode that I am doing, I'm talking about. I, you know, I don't get up every morning or back then, even now, I don't get up and say, okay, this is how I'm going to be strong today. Yeah. No, I have just lived a life of service. I live to serve. Mm. I I am being who I want people to be to me. Mm. And so I just I just serve. And I did yoga for I mean, I have no proof, but I did yoga a couple of sessions. <laughs> I love that. No proof. (laughs) And what I took away from those sessions was if you can breathe through it, you can get through it. Wonderful metaphor. Yep. Yeah. And I try to channel that. If anything, I always go back to my breath. Mm. You know, it's so beautiful. I had um, studied at Kropalo once. And there was a particular program where they asked you to hold poses for a really long time, for an excruciating long time. But the whole purpose of it was to teach yourself what happens when you get to a point where you can't go any further. And then you go further because you breathe. And then you can't go any further. And then you breathe again. Breathing. And you, you could find yourself holding poses for an unbelievable amount of time, which is yeah. a perfect example of what you've had to do. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. I'm always just like, okay, Sydney. You're still breathing? Okay. Mm. Good. Because mm. when you, for me, when I focus on my breath, nothing else, because nothing else can help me. Yeah. And I realize that no one can help me. No one can fix me. There's no yes. fix. Right. There's no fix. But if I can breathe, then something will resolve. Mm. And then I continue breathing and something else will, will resolve. And so from September 29th, at 411, 441, I'm sorry, when Benjamin gifted me that last breath, I've recycled it, recycled it. You know, I said back then I, I wrote a letter to my friends, like an open letter. And I said, if I could inhale for me and exhale into him, I would have. But that's not even as great as the last breath that he's given me. Because I get to recycle that and it gets to produce and produce and produce. And that breath sustains me so that I can parent my five-year-old that's grieving. Five-year-old grief. Have you ever? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what, Have you well, what ever? Can you talk about that a little bit? What is five? Because no, I, I, I'm not a parent and I'm, I'm, what is five-year-old grief like? Five-year-old grief this week is I wish I could get up and get you. There's this balloon 
that someone sent to my house with some flowers, you know, congratulations. So five-year-old grief in this house this week is that balloon that says congratulations. Mm. My five-year-old Harper names the balloon Ben. (laughs) Mommy, um, can you put Ben on the table so he doesn't float away again? I don't want him to float away from me. Ben, you stay right here. Mommy's making dinner. I'm going to bring you your dinner. And he gets his cars and he gets his toys and he plays. And when he goes to bed, he tucks Ben under the table. So I don't want you to float away from me. I don't want you to leave me anymore. And he says, mommy, please, please don't pop my balloon. And then I'm like, okay, but I know that it's a balloon and I know that it's going to deflate and I know that it's not going to be there. So I'm thinking ahead, like how now? How do I, how I, I don't have it. So that's five-year-old grief. So there's two things, you know, one, one thing that you're saying is just what you were saying before about your images after Benjamin died, that we, we hold on to beliefs until we're ready. So right now your son is holding on to this until he can be more ready to accept the reality of of the physical Benjamin not being here. So this is really kind of a teaching opportunity in a way. So when the balloon deflates, it's a teaching opportunity. And I imagine that you will know what to say when you dig deep into your heart. You'll know what to tell him because he needed to hold on to the balloon for a while, just like you needed to hold on for a while. And so it's actually such a poignant moment. I am scared. I'm scared of what that will look like. He'll lay in bed and he says, Mommy, do you know when Jesus will be ready for me? Mm. Can you tell him that I'm ready? Because I want to see Ben. I want to know what he's doing. He tells my sister, can you die so you can go be with Ben? Mommy, I want to die because I want to see what it feels like. That's all he knows. But he knows other, he knows love too. And he knows the support of your family. He knows that too. And remember, with kids, they ask questions, important questions that we're afraid to ask. They right? do. So these are things we right. wonder. You wonder too. You wonder those same things that he's wondering. That's so his questions point. are wonderful. It's okay. Don't be afraid. You can do this just the way <laughs> you've done it, step by step, breath by breath. You can deal with his grief the same way. And, of course, there are people that can help. There are professionals that can help too. You know, they can help. help. Good. That's great. But I know this. But the important thing are these moments when he talks to you. I get it. It's so, he's like, he takes your breath away. Like, what do I say? What do I do? But just trust yourself. You're so beautiful. And you know, you know the answers. You really do. But his questions are, it's okay. Be glad he's asking questions. If he wasn't, he'd be holding them all in. And just Mm -hmm. like you're promoting talking about grief, he's talking about his grief and the way he interprets it. Yes, and I do encourage him. I've always encouraged him to feel his feelings and talk about Mm -hmm. them. It's just the the, the conflict or the contention between my grief, his, and me being his mom, right? Yes, yes. I still have to parent him from this place. Like, I, I can't parent Harper from any other place other than this from loss of course yeah it's scared i worry about him i don't want to leave him i want to get away but i don't want to leave him because i'm afraid 
you're so afraid and so yet you're losing being so strong you know I mean it's interesting like I you know even when we first started and and you were talking about being nervous about your podcast and tiptoeing and stuff and it's funny because yes you are afraid but we uh my my aunt used to say she's a therapist too and she used to say fear is not a stop sign and you're kind of really living that right now you're really doing because you are afraid and you're so honest about your your fear and it's so natural and normal and yet you're still so brave and going on and I think it's important to normalize that too the duality and being able to be afraid say I'm afraid and also do you know they can coexist and we don't exactly. often yeah. acknowledge that and, it's, exactly. and you're really doing a very beautiful job of that <sighs> and, and love is the antidote to fear so in those moments when you get most scared, just go to that big, beautiful heart of yours and reach inside because heart, love is at the center of grief too. Remember, grief isn't just this disease that we have that we can't cure. You yeah. know, grief is about living and loving and life. It's about, it's how much love we've had, exactly. how much love we've experienced. It's the love that we have left that is just like, yeah. I'm still here. Yes. I'm still here. Yeah. Absolutely. It's you know, just, it's, it's scary. Uh, of course. Of it course strikes it me some of the stuff that you're saying really, it's, it's standing out. We had a wonderful guest on about a year ago, Donna Orbach, and she had lost her son. Um, and I asked her the question of where does the love go when you lose someone who you love, right? Because it doesn't just go away. It, it it exists in some other form and it seems like you're in a lot of ways taking it and obviously you have you know Harper and the love goes there and the love is going into your podcast and and I I'm also hearing through listening to your podcast and it makes me happy to hear and I know that this can be ever-changing but as right now it really does sound like the love is going into yourself because in doing this show, like I really encourage people to listen to your podcast because you're in such a beautiful way giving yourself this like acceptance and talking about like how your grief is okay, how, you know, days being terrible are okay, about being happy is okay. Like, would you, do you think it's fair to say that you're able to return some of that, that love like back into yourself and to your project? Definitely. I am extend in more grace to myself mm. first I am gracing myself and I am gaining Sydney outside of everything else I'm gaining confidence in in who I am and where I am and what I have I have love I have pain I have grief and I don't want it to have all of me. Mm. I don't want it to have all of me. I don't. I don't know how else to say that. It's a great way to I say it. I don't. I don't mm -hmm. want it to have all of me. And I know that we're not going to be separate. Well, we. You know, you said it. I think yourself in one of your podcasts that we have grief, but we are not grief. Mm. we have pain, but we are not pain. It's a part of us. You know, I was thinking so much about um, you and trying to, about the fact that you were looking for, 
this is your meaning. You use the word meaning and purpose. And I think that's so powerful. And um, it's been said that one of the tasks of grief is to find new meaning. So I was doing different reading. That's what I do when I start a podcast. I have so many books, as you can see behind me. And I, I love and it. I, and I get to read them for the podcast because I get to read books I haven't read in a long time. <laughs> so long two time. things. I pulled out two books, okay? One was um, this book, which I would highly suggest, and it's called Finding Meaning. And it's a book, The Sixth Stage of Grief by David Kessler. Okay. And he was associated with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was the person who first discovered, she was a Swiss psychiatrist years ago, and she discovered the stages of grief. But we realize now that stages are really not significant. It's the tasks of grief. It's the work that we have to do while we're grieving. And I'm not going to get into reading them now, but I, if you ever want to talk about them, I'd be glad to talk about it with you. But the last task of grief is finding new meaning. Mm. Because as we said before, you the meaning of of being with the person you love, and the, in your case, caring for him for 10 years. So I also read, I reread, A Man's Search for Meaning, which was written by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a Swiss psychiatrist, and he was in concentration camp. Mm-hmm. And he survived. But he wrote about the significance of who, who, what is the resiliency and how do people emerge from horrible, horrible tragedies? How do they emerge? What is it that helps them? So I wanted to read you a quote that I thought was really fit. And it says, there is a point after honoring our grief, when we want to stop hurting, when the yearning is too much, the emptiness too encompassing, not talking about lessening our connection to our loved one, but rather decreasing the suffering associated with the connection. In that pain, that opening, we can begin to explore how to find meaning. And when you said to me that I don't, when I wake up in the morning, I want to get up and I want to do something. I want mm-hmm. to find a meaning in this. It's not that you're not feeling everything that you feel, but something about getting up and breathing and taking care of your son and doing your podcast has become, you know, your new meaning and your new survival. It definitely has. Bobby, thank you. Can you send me that? I will. I I want to I want to absorb it. You know, a part of where I am is I've been in the hospital so much. Don't let me tell you. I know the staff. I just walk past security, ma'am, sir. (laughs) Hey, what's up? You know, whatever. And I just go and I know everybody there and everybody knows Benjamin. They they're it's his baby. They're they're his baby. He's been there since he was four months old, right? Wow. And so I see other families come in. And I'm in the Bronx. And so there's like it's like a melting pot here. Mm-hmm. And while I have a voice, maybe because I stand six feet two inches tall, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I show up in the hospital. And I show out in the hospital and I see other families come and they just shrink. Mm. And I don't like that for them. Mm. I don't like that for them. So before they get to where I, where I am and I hope that they never get there, I just want them because I don't have any guilt. I don't think that there's anything that I could have done different. Mm. So guilt is not a part of my, my grieving. So when you talk about the stages, like I don't necessarily relate to the stages. No, not at all. I was saying they're not really appropriate. Yeah. No. So I, I, I want to, my, the meaning for me is 
giving a voice to the pain, right? Because the pain precedes all this chaos. But I want families, I want other mothers that I see in the hospital to say, listen, soak up all of this, stand flat-footed in all of this, ask all the questions, all the commas, all the full stops, all the exclamations, all the questions, ask all of them. And so while I want to give a voice to grief, it's the other part, it's the grieving mm-hmm. of that, 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 that suffering that long suffering Mm. because I grieved and I didn't even know until now that I was grieving when Benjamin was on life support when he was waiting for the heart every step every step is it's it's in your way in your well of grief absolutely every single step yes yes so you know there there are people out there that may not be able to stand as tall as you right now you know there are people out there right now that may feel the shrinking and that's okay, too. And, and that's that why okay. you, who can stand up and stand on your feet, why it's so important for you to use your voice and help people. Yes. Absolutely. And Sid, that's uh, what gets me up in the morning. Yeah. That's amazing. Sid, as we, I mean, we can sit here and talk to you for like six <laughs> hours. Um, but as we like end each episode, we always ask people um, the same question. And it's so interesting to hear how everyone answers it differently. But um, if you could have given yourself one piece of advice at the beginning of this experience, and the beginning is, you know, in quotations, because that can really be at any point during your experience. But um, knowing what you know now, having been through this uh, grieving experience and, and loss experience, what would that piece of advice to your earlier self be? Wow, Zara. Oh. <laughs> I know it's a big question. Who raised you? <laughs> Bobby! <laughs> it's oh my gosh. You're so cute. Um, <gasps> I would tell my earlier self that you matter that you matter Sydney um accept a little help right I don't know how I, I just I just felt like I was closed and not because anyone shut me in but because I closed myself off like a soldier so that's what i would yeah sydney you matter accept Mm. some help that's very very beautiful and you're not yeah yeah oh i'm sorry go ahead please finish your thought (laughs) no and that um and that you're and that you're not a burden wow that's very that's profound too and that i'm not and that i'm not a burden yeah right and i still struggle with that a little bit now in this grief process is that i'm like i said before i'm so full i just i I can't keep it to myself and i worry sometimes about how people will receive it then i have to pull myself back and say okay be honest be true be transparent be raw yeah you're not a burden (laughs) yeah you're a gift uh 
you're not a burden and you know when you're really not a burden when you find your people because also like not everybody can it's a very good point take this in right and that doesn't mean that they are bad like it exactly i find that even with you know sometimes i'm even i even try to just talk about the podcast or upcoming guests i have or people i talked to with other friends or something and they don't want to hear about it and my initial reaction is like screw these guys they don't even hear about it i'm like oh they don't want to they can't hear about this this isn't like for that you know what i mean like for for whatever reason but like you're not a burden and you're and you really aren't a burden to when you find the people in your community you know what i mean that can in the grief community or friends or family members that really can absorb it and i think like finding those people can be helpful also because it makes us realize even more that we actually aren't a burden and it's just that other people sometimes aren't ready for it. Excellent. And that's what I talked about in the last um, podcast episode is, is finding your person. And Mm. I don't know if you, you heard where I admitted that, Oh, did I put on a show Mm -hmm. before that funeral? (laughs) And my friend was like, Sydney, cut it out, (laughs) cut it out. But you know, I just, I just had to, so yes, finding your person. And I'm grateful for this grief community because I didn't know that it existed. And I'm Mm -hmm. glad Mm -hmm. that I found you guys. I'm glad that I don't have to curate an image to fit in. It's just, this is who we are. Yeah. And it's great. The community gets it and no apologies. You know, we often use this quote. It's from Viktor Frankl again. And he says that survival is a community event. And we just believe in that. So that's why we're here. So Zara, I want to add a new part to our podcast at the end. Yes. What is it? If we could all sit down now and have a meal, the three of us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, Amanda, you're invited too. Oh, Um, yes. Amanda, our producer, you're also Our producer. What would we make? So if we just think of one dish we would make. Oh, that's great. If we all sat down together, what we'd make. Okay. Want to go first, Bobby? It seems like you yes. have. Okay, <laughs> sorry, we didn't prepare for this part. Go I ahead. would make chicken soup. Ooh! And oh. I made it this week because I had my second vaccine, and I wanted to make something that was nurturing. And I made my best version of chicken soup. So I would make us a big bowl of chicken soup to start. And what would mm-hmm. you guys make? Um, go ahead, Sid. Okay, I think that I would make. Curry chickpea. Listen, <gasps> listen, 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 listen. It's the best thing ever. I bet. With diced eggplants <gasps> over jasmine rice. Oh my God, I'm so hungry. Okay. All right. Curry, that curry chickpea. Delicious. Oh my God, I, can I love smell it. chickpeas. I, love I can curry smell chickpeas. it. Oh, delicious. I know. Okay, guys. Well, I'm going to bring the dessert because obviously okay. we have the meal covered already. So. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and bring really decadent, rich chocolate brownies with chocolate chunks in them with like kind of gooey and raw in the middle and crackly on top. <laughs> can, you bring vanilla, can you bring vanilla ice cream to it? Yes. We can have it warm. And, and van- vanilla oat oh, ice cream, please. Oh, okay. Yeah. I Bobby's like oat ice cream. Free, so we'll bring okay. some oat ice cream and some regular ice cream. Bobby, this is a good question. I love I, this, Bobby. I love this question. This is smart. This is good. All right. Well, now we know what we have to do when we all meet up and have, have a meal together when COVID allows that allows. to happen. He said, uh, honestly, again, after like talking the first time and after today, like you feel like an old friend and it's just amazing how your warmth and your generosity of spirit just is 
I don't know. It's just so, it's so unique. You're such a brave and wonderful and incredible human being. And I feel so blessed to have been able to have met you and to have people be able to hear this episode is a great gift to the world, truly. Thank you. You're giving me chills. That's Uh true. And can you just tell people um, where to, I mean, we'll put this in the notes for the show, but can you just tell people where to find you, how to listen to your show, your Instagram handle, et cetera? Oh, sure. Everything is at a piece of grief, P-E-A-C-E. Love it. A piece of grief on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Google Podcasts. I have a website, a piece of grief.com, and my Facebook and my Instagram are the same at a piece of grief. Cool. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to a piece of grief. So more I would people love can that. so more people can uh, access the show and really Good like I you. just hope we stay in touch and you know, become real life friends because you're just amazing. Yeah, you don't get to get rid of me. I'm sorry. That's not, that's not how this that's not how this works, Zara. Okay, good. Awesome. Sid, this was Bobby, great. you either because you have of all course. the books that I need. Sid, thank you so much. This was a this was such a gift and um yeah, can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thank you for having me. This was a therapy for me. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Okay. I can't wait to talk to you again. Yay! This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally, sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally, May through August, in select Whole Food markets throughout California, and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles. And now, HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company. Go to lardermeatco.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R, meatco.com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter 
at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.